You've read the books. You've learned the rules. You've played the games. And so is your mom. Just making sure you're paying attention. Now, it's time for something completely off base. From the same guys who haven't done anything exciting yet are the Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Potato. Listen in as they talk about all things related to pen and paper games, challenge rules, and go off script. This is the high fantasy commentary you didn't ask for, but your mom did. (laughs) This is the Epic Table Audio Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Epic Table Games Audio Show. With yours truly, Potato, and Rob. How's it going? Oh, dude, I got, uh, I got a funny story for you. Lay it on me. So, I got an email from my youngest daughter's teacher. She an was, email, you say? An email. <gasps> Special guest, Zach, is in the house. <laughs> I've, I've got a Hi. thing for email. Hi, Zach. <laughs> I, I, that was how we first communicated, besides, besides talking to each other. Anyhow, I get an email from my youngest daughter's teacher that detailed how on recess oh she peed in the bushes (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing i can't even i'm not mad i had to tell her like the email's like yo we talked to we talked to her and we told her how she can't do that she's got to use the school bathroom and how we need to keep our pants up at school (laughs) and i'm like yo kiddo Go pee in the bathroom. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, just go in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. But we're not a parental podcast. No, we're not. And with Zach coming back, we were talking a little bit about last week, um, some of the differences that we found in tabletop RPGs, and our conversation was everywhere. If you actually listen to it, it's really confusing. Um, no, we're having fun, though. Yeah, absolutely. We Can't try- fault us on that. No, and we tried to stay on focus. We tried to stay on topic, uh, but it just became difficult. And before we started this episode, I mentioned that, Zach, you had shown me a tabletop RPG rule set you were really interested in, and that is in the Fallout world. Yes. More information, please. Um... Here's the problem. Apparently it's available everywhere in the world, except for the United States. And that's a travesty. A travesty? It is an abomination. (laughs) I want a Fallout RPG system on this table right now. I know. I mean, what do I got to do? Leave the country to go get this? I will leave the country. I'll go with you. Now, I'm I'm looking on the internet right now. God bless the uh, uh, Oracle, right? Al Gore. (laughs) Al Gore. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Al Gore. Um, now, I think the one that you sent me particularly is different than the one that I see on Amazon. Mm. Now, this one particularly is um, Modifius Fallout, the role-playing game core rulebook. Various. It's got the same logo, so I know it's it's using an image from the, uh, the jumpsuit. It's got the Bethesda marking on it. Um... It looks like it's pretty much the game 
that you're talking about, but this one was released. Ah, this is the one. It was released September 14th, 2021. Oh, wow. Perfect. So this is the one that you're talking about. Okay, and we've talked not quite at length, but repetitively about your position on Fallout. I love Fallout. And it's a zombie game. It is not a zombie game. Now, that was my argument when you told me it was, because the ghouls are about the same thing. I cannot believe that you just call Fallout a zombie game. I am appalled by you, Rob. I will, take, I will take the blame for this, but this is the exact conversation Zach and I had earlier about how there haven't been good zombie games that are open-world sandbox style. Oh, am I still arguing pro-zombie? Dude, Fallout's a fucking zombie game for yeah. sure. Yeah. Ghouls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ghouls. You, you, you could definitely have fun with it being a zombie game, but it's not a zombie game exactly. It's not all about zombies. It's not zombie-themed. You can just no, say... No, no, no. no, no. Definitely, definitely not all about zombies. No. But for the purposes of creating an argument, I was definitely arguing that it was. The ghouls are the Fallout version of zombies. That's that's no no doubt about that. Yeah. You guys are just being obstinate at this point. To specifically be obstinate. <laughs> any, any, did, I, did I forget to mention that? <laughs> Anyhow, now all of the all of the tabletop RPG games that play as you have ghoul. played so far, Zach, have been fantasy based. Yes. Uh, and not just fantasy based, but medieval fantasy. Tolkien-style fantasy Middle-earth. Yes. And, Potato, you have most experience there with a little bit of, uh, at least, book knowledge on some of the other games. Yeah. Um, This one is a far departure from things that both you guys are generally used to in tabletop games. I have experience in all different styles of tabletop games, and I'm familiar with the Fallout world. Um, I thought some of the games were great. It's your go-to game, Zach. It's not mine. New Vegas? Actually, I I like the Fallout games enough to play through them, except okay. for Fallout 4. I'm just tired of that one, and I'm only an hour and a half into it. Oh, okay. And the third one I thought was great. I did. I, I enjoyed New Vegas. Uh, there are a lot of aspects I like. Um, but what draws you to Fallout? I mean, is it the post-apocalyptic setting? I think the setting does not necessarily just because it's post-apocalyptic, but because there was a, a divergence from an actual timeline to where they are in history, or right. in the future. Right, and if I remember correctly, uh, most of the media that I can recall was... Oh man, I'm, gonna, I'm, about, to get, I'm about to get this crossed with, with a, one of my favorite... Uh, underrated B movies here, but it was the fifties, wasn't it? And the, like the, essentially, Elvis was king. We lost the Cold War, nuclear race, whatever happened back then. We diverged. That's the timeline then. Black and white TVs. We had Butler robots. The fifties is where the technology diverged and society diverged from the you know not our timeline but right. reality. Um, I don't think the war happened in the Fallout world until like the 2080s-ish. But in their world, you know, it's still very 1950s-ish feeling. Yeah. And I like that too. Okay. Um, it's not just post-apocalyptic, but they, they tweak the timeline quite a bit. Oh yeah, and it I, makes I, it more unique. It makes it more unique, but I think they really did a good job with the changes they made. 
So oh, yeah. As as we're talking about the setting, we know that um, from reality, the history of reality, back until when the divergent event happened, um, anything could have taken place. How do you feel that that would translate to pen and paper rules versus the video game? Because you no longer have the visuals, but you have the memory of the visuals from the game. You have the feel of isolation and desperation. It's really, the, it's known as the wasteland in the game. Yes. And no matter where you are, it is the wasteland. Yep. It's all a wasteland. Yes. Um, a lot of times in the games that we play, the party comes across large cities, establishments, etc. We have a lot of different things that don't seem to fit in Fallout. So how do you think it translates both what we know about history and the divergence to how you feel it would really parallel or compare to uh, most game settings based on what the game is already? Well, with the with the variety of settings, scenario, variety of uh, landscapes that you're going to encounter, you're going to yep. break them down into two things. The wasteland, quote-unquote, and these bombed-out cities. Uh, as far as a tabletop RPG version, I think the wasteland would be not only an easier thing to navigate but inherently more familiar to the players and i think the cities would probably be a little bit more difficult you know like a, a 20 square mile dungeon effectively yeah so that's what it would be it's kind of how it is in the video games yeah yeah um i think that would be more more difficult to deal with not just transitioning from the video game to tabletop but uh just size wise mechanics of it i mean how, how do you play alley to alley to alley across something that's supposed to be city size you know it, it, it's got to be just a huge undertaking yeah it would definitely be a long encounter or at least when you go into that town it would be just a like a book length of an adventure essentially just in that town alone yes um what i can do in an hour or two in front of a tv would take you know, six months worth of tabletop gaming. Exactly. Especially when you got three other people that want to do other stuff as well. Which is great, because that means there's going to be endless content. Oh, yeah. My, my my question, I love to research on about this uh, TRPG, is um, the, the VAT system in the video game. How does the VAT system work in this tabletop system when... They're taking turn by turn already because uh, the vats like slows everything down to a creeping halt. You pick the body part and whatnot. How's, actually, the, how's that work in the tabletop? The things that would translate really well. I, I feel it feel like they're using vats every time it's your turn. I mean, aside from like a rolling initiative, but you're you're kind of already using vats inherently. Yeah, in Pathfinder, you're, you're, you're basically using VATS. Yeah, I, th right. I think it's a natural step to, to, to call it VATS. My question, though, there is if they want to make it where it's just the regular mechanic, that's one thing. But 
I'm wondering if they're going to make it where it's a special feature because it's was so special about Fallout as well. I think they're going to try and incorporate that pretty heavy. I don't know that it's going to be like an actual mechanic, though. It could be maybe like a call shots feature. I was thinking that might be what it, what it is. I don't know. Uh, trying to look at some more information. Um, I first started with the product description off of Amazon. Oh, okay. Which I'd like to read this to you guys. It's very short. In 2077, the storm of nuclear war reduced most of the planet was reduced to cinders. That's a potato thing right there. Did you write this? No, what is that? What it says? In 2077, the storm of nuclear war reduced most of the planet was reduced to cinders. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jeffrey Bezos did it again. Good good description there, Amazon. He doesn't write these. (laughs) I'm blaming it on him. (laughs) From the ashes of nuclear (laughs) devastation, a new civilization would struggle to arise. The civilization you will shape. A civilization you will shape. Welcome to the wasteland. Welcome to the world of Fallout. This 400-page rulebook sets the stage for an epic Fallout table role-playing experience made in Lithuania. You think they did it in Lithuania because they're pretty close to the wasteland as it is? <laughs> That's an off-colored joke, isn't it? Uh, uh, <laughs> You're going to have to cut that part out. I'm not gonna, I don't edit anything. Pause for edit. So I'm, I'm actually I'm looking it up on fandom because it came out earlier this year. And it is also referred to as Fallout 2D20. 2D20? That, that is what it says. It uses the 2D20 tabletop system translated into a modified special system. Prior to Fallout the role-playing game, Modifius, the, uh, the developers, developed Fallout Wasteland Warfare and its expansion fallout wasteland warfare role-playing game so this isn't their first time with fallout interesting yeah first time i'm hearing about it absolutely um it is interesting that um it looks like a three-act scenario is contained at the end of the source book the scenario is designed so it could be it can be a continuation of Once Upon a Time in the Commonwealth, which is part of the game. Yep. Um, so it sounds like they're actually pulling from Fallout 3. Quite heavily. Um, let's see, the game G-E-C-K, the GEC Special yep. Edition box. Um, Garden of Eden Creation Kit. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm just looking at products here. So again, there's not a whole lot of information on this one specifically but there was also a fallout pen and paper d20 by glutton creeper games so this one is this one i'm slightly more familiar with i've seen the cover of it before uh this was back in 2006 to create the d20 game for fallout and that one i'm familiar with so i thought there was a second one at some point or first one i wonder if you can play as like a ghoul or a mutant that had the FEV, mm. that'd be cool. I'd be a barbarian instantly like that. I'll be a, a barbarian mutant, dude. That'd be freaking awesome. So do they have caster classes? That's a good point. What would be a caster class for Fallout? Intra- I, I don't know. I think it'd be a bit more snub-nosed in that sense. You know, yeah, this I mean, book looks nice. 
I can, I can see a rogue class and a bard and all the other stuff, but like a caster, what do you do for that? I, I can or only they, imagine it would be a gunslinger class, like specializing to, in a sniper or something. It would have to be some sort of boon-style ranged weapon. Something. Or maybe that's the class that's more heavily invested in the VATS setup. Who knows? It might be. It's, it's interesting, because they don't really have a magical-esque mechanic for Fallout. It's all technology-based. Which, in turn, is all usable by any class. Sorry. Gosh, I'm using the power glove. Ka-doom! <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking into oh. this. I mean, I'm, I'm looking into the... Beautiful artwork on these pages. It does. It, it feels like it, it's from the game. I, Zach, I know my, my computer's not facing you, so we'll have to catch you up here in a minute. You're probably, <laughs> you're probably itching it. It looks like... I probably should look away. I don't be unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I love Fallout. It's so I, good. Let's see. It looks like chapter one for the core rules. Uh, what tabletop role playing is skill tests, action points, luck, combat uh, covers encounters, damage and injury, healing, and the environment. Uh, character creation is your special attributes, which comes directly from the game. That's all your skills. Uh, oh, the special skill, yep. skill points. I love how it looks. It sounds like it's really taking luck as a mechanic. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's part of the core rules. What I don't see is anything that calls out the VAT system that you're asking about. Um, I mean, unless it's under damage and injury. Let's fast forward a little bit. Let's see where we're going. Why are you guys so worried about vehicle anti-theft? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good one. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like specifically it's got a VAT system. Looks like they pull some stills from the video games that uh, they just digitally remaster. So it could be what you initially brought up, Zach, is that the VATS is just kind of blanket termed as the the role initiative uh, combat um, pattern. You you would say based on what Rob turn based based on what Rob's pulling up. That's kind of what I'm starting to think. Yeah. Uh, I feel feel that's a little lackluster because VATS is such a special thing to the Fallout game. No other no other game franchise has the same mechanic outer, that I know of. Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds. Something very similar. Time dilation. Uh, they call it something TD. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, Obsidian made that game. The yep. same guys made New Vegas. Yes. And I hear they're making Outer Worlds too. They're still coming out with the uh, DLC for... Outer World 1 in addition. Ooh, man. I I got that game. I was getting into it, but I'm like, man, it feels just like Fallout, but just looks so much better. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, Fallout in space. It's so good. Send that game to my Xbox. (laughs) Now, Zach, we know that from the last episode, you're really new to a lot of these tabletop RPGs. Very. And it's funny because uh, you and I also work together. And you had a pretty, pretty strong policy prior to us getting into um, sitting down at a table to, to roll some dice together. It was not to hang out with a lot of work friends. No, uh, not ever. Work friends were totally separate. Not in person, not on Facebook, big fucking wall. Work is work. Right. Everything else is everything else. <laughs> so, so somehow I broke through that wall. And I, I just randomly said, hey, how you feel about a bi-weekly D and D game, and he said, "You know what? Let's do it. Why not?" Threw caution to the wind. 
Yes. Not the not worst mistake you could ever make. I'm just kidding. I am a wonderful <laughs> guy. You guys have both stuck around. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond in the rough. Diamond so, in the rough. Anyhow, when I talk to you about um, about these D and D games, you I knew that you were new. You told me you told me as much, but you really started to look into a lot of these different aspects of tabletop rolling playing games. A lot of new systems and uh, a lot of questions I hadn't been considered before. And some of the things that you keep finding, which I don't know how you find them. I don't know if they show up in your in your news lists. I don't know if you're looking for them. I don't He's looking up obtuse TRPG games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've got no idea. But you send me a lot of stuff. And I do read it all. I never just ignore it. My news feed is very carefully curated. Dude, look life. at this new game. It's from China, exclusive to China. What's it called? I don't know. I can't read that. <laughs> Anyhow, you you know that uh, I'm a I'm a huge superhero fan, and so you came across a new Marvel um, game. Uh, it's it's designed. It the article was that, that you sent me was from ComicBook.com, and they do they just they describe it as a tabletop game. Is this the same one that you sent me earlier today? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, what I sent you earlier oh. today was classic Marvel. So oh, okay. that's the TSR one that we keep talking about. Oh, okay. Um, okay. With the words missing. Yeah. Yeah. Love to read that. Optional words. Optional <laughs> words. Any, anyhow, this one is Dice Throne uh, Marvel Edition. It's going to Kickstarter later this month. Oh, okay. Actually, I want to say by the, by the release of this episode, it's going to be on par with when the release is. It's a Kickstarter. Um. I've never heard of Dice Throne prior to what you'd sent me. I don't think you've heard of it either. No. It was just, you know, hey, this is probably something Rob would be interested in. Potato, by looking by your face, you're not too sure what this is either. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Okay. Uh, that doesn't help the conversation here, any. so I'm on the website. Wow. Um, <laughs> a, a Dice Throne. And it looks interesting. It's got a Description, it's a heart-pumping, fast-playing game of skilled card play and dice manipulation that will have your game nights cheering. Cheering is bold in a different color, so that's very important. Dice Throne can be played one versus one, teams, free-for-all, and with our latest release, Dice Throne Adventure, it can be played as a cooperative game. So is it just a glorified card board game essentially that's really what it sounds like it's gearing up to because as i go down it says roll your hero's dice three times to activate abilities upgrade abilities and play action cards to surprise your foe defeat your opponents and take the throne well what's the narrative or is it just gameplay mechanics win the game beat the players i would like to repeat the statement that i've got no idea what this <laughs> is and i am trying to you, figure it I'll out say, you got the you. screen on you you got the screen Honestly, I'll, I'll, I'm going to say it's kind of a turnoff for me with the card part of it. Yeah. Um, I if guess, I want to play a card game, I play a card game. Well, I don't mind being a little bit of a dice goblin or whatever, but cards just don't have the same durability that a dice does. Exactly. Um, then I'm I, I I try and be gentle with stuff, but you know I can spill a soda on on dice and it doesn't matter. You do that. Right. Card, they're just not as durable. And that's a problem for me. So here, I, I agree. Here we go. This kind of answers your question a little bit. Um, Dice Throne is often described to new players as Yahtzee meets Magic the Gathering. 
I think that was mentioned earlier, Magic wow. the Gathering. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a fast-paced, strategic game of card play and dice manipulation. Its variety, setup time, playtime, and addictive nature make it one of the easiest games in existence to get to the table. Dice Throne will be the workhorse of your game collection. So is this like the crack version of D&D? So it sounds like the I'm gameplay is going to sure. take a few minutes, not like a three-hour-long session. Uh, you know, it seems like it's a medium-weight game. Right. You have currently 16 heroes, and it... You can't even make your own guy? No, you have to play pre-existing heroes. Interesting. And it looks like they all have their own complexity level to them. I assume their complexity is like a difficulty to play. Um, none of which, which I'm looking at right now, is... Oh, here we go. The Barbarian is a 1. Hero complexity, 1. <laughs> you basic. Okay. Um, Most of them are level 2. We have like two level 6s. So, Alright. Yeah, it... I mean, a shop.dicethrone.com is absolutely beautifully built. The website does look very nice. Is this the D100 system? No, this is multiple special dice that okay. correlate specifically to the cards. All right. Now, as a whole, I feel this game in particular, Dice Throne, is one of those games that you would whip out and play, just have a couple quick little games if not everybody shows up for your D&D session. It doesn't feel like a game that people will come to your house and play every week. You know, I'm looking at their shop a little bit more, and truthfully, they should just probably call it Dice Throne 40K, because this shit is expensive. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I mean, Yahtzee the Gathering, 100 bucks, right? Yo, Dice Throne Season 1, Box 4, The Trent vs. Ninja, $30. I mean, these wow. things are $30 a pop, and if you need 16 heroes, that's 30 times 8. Or you can just buy the Battle Chest... Uh, for a hundred bucks, or the adventure for wow. eighty bucks. I mean, oh my wow. god! Oh my god! This is ridiculous. Well, that reminds me of a game that I got right there in my stack of board games called Here to Slay, and it's the same sort of aspect in a sense. You got a handful of cards. You have one card that's like the leader card, and the other cards are like the party members to that leader. So instead of playing as one character, you're playing as a small team. And the other guy is being like the DM in a sense. He's playing event and monster cards that you have to combat against. And if you got three players, that's three teams, it gets to the point where you're not going to be fighting each other to try to get the loot. But it's all based on cards and a couple dice, I think. Right. I haven't even got to play the game yet because I never get people to come out here to hang out with me because I'm a sad, balding man. Um, but no... It's, it feels like it's one of those games that is just a pick-up-and-play for a couple minutes, not a three-hour session, not a weekly commitment. I don't know. No, no narrative to it. It's just game mechanic, roll the dice, play the cards. I think that's most tabletop games, though. I mean, it's not... I mean, look at most of the other tabletop games in general. There are a few heavyweight games like um, Betrayal and Haunted House, Haunted House and Betrayal Hill or whatever. Oh, the, the big box one? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, th I heard that game is really good. It, it's great. There's a huge narrative to it. But it's a heavy game. Very. It, it takes a long time to play. Yep. Um, 
games like Dice Throne look fast and easy and quick, it's something I'll probably check out. I mean, the artwork on it looks like Tap Titans, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when you take cool cel-shaded video game graphics and you put them in a physical product, I, I really enjoy that. Um, but there's nothing wrong with these faster-paced games. We're looking, no. at, we're looking at the idea of, uh, you know, generally we talk about tabletop RPGs, which are naturally heavyweight as it is. Yeah. And this is kind of a cross between a card game and a little bit of a board game, kind of like the Pathfinder board game. Or, um, God, there was an old D&D-style board game where you had tokens that went around a plain board. You picked up cards, you had encounters, etc. It was like... Jumanji. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it, was, it was a good cross between the two, though. And it, this seems to be that kind of bridge, and I like that. Um, you're right, though. I don't know if it's something I would just sort of sit down and play i wouldn't invite friends over to play it um but it's something i would check out for sure oh yeah i'll be down to play it but i don't know if i would invest a hundred bucks just to play it well remember that's a hundred dollars to have everything from right season one Ugh, it's crazy i know it's crazy the yeah. worst the worst thing is that's not even the worst one there's other ones out there where it's this oh here's the only game you can get 200 bucks and it's a big box it's gonna take up your whole table to unfold unpack i mean it's crazy yeah you were gonna say that? I I bought a couple of core rule books this afternoon. Uh, one for Five E, one for uh, Pathfinder, and I was spending in the twenty to thirty dollar range for each of those core rule books. Mm-hmm. And so the price tag on that, the hundred dollars or whatever for the first season, puts it a little bit, makes it a little bit less attractive to me. And I imagine a lot of other people, you know, price is a factor, and if oh, you're yeah. gonna oh, get into absolutely. something. You know that that hundred dollar price tag versus a core rule book for twenty five. It's off putting a little bit in that sense. It, it, it can agree. be, and it's it's great that you bring it up from a from a new player perspective because that price barrier is something we've talked about. Yeah, and we I I made the joke earlier. I mean, they should call it Dice Throne Forty K. Like Warhammer Forty K's joke is it costs forty thousand dollars to get into. Yeah, I mean it's so huge, and we've talked about books before. I mean, um. Rule books for tabletop RPGs regularly average sixty dollars, fifty to sixty dollars, for a hardcover book. Um, Paizo released their pocket editions, which come in between twenty to twenty-five dollars, which is half price from their hardcovers, which is great. Yep. All the five E is half price right now. Oh, cool! Essentially, it's yep. All the fifty-dollar rule books are thirty bucks or less. Man, right. right, and I mean, so you're catching a deal, but you're seeing that that is a price barrier. That that's essentially a pay-to-play admission price yeah. that it sets the bar really high. And looking at this particular game, the Dice Throne, I mean, you're looking at $30 for the basic two-character expansion almost, and it's $100 for everything. I think you're right. I think new players who don't understand the game or don't know the game will not invest right away. It feels like it'd be more of a group investment to play that particular game, the Dice Throne. Particular. Like, oh, we got four people that feel like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. We can play that game instead of leaning it all on one guy to pick up the game. Just going to chip in, so it's not going to be such a heavy hit in one guy's wallet. Sure, and it looks like you could buy like one or two, two people sets, and yeah. then you know your friend or another friend or two buy one or two of their own. Which is cool, but it's not a trading card game either, so you can't trade character cards. Yeah. Um, I mean, so now you're not really hitting that trading card game like Magic the Gathering did, Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or uh, even the DBZ card game and whatnot. 
I don't know. It looks interesting. <laughs> Do you remember the Mortal Kombat trading card game? I remember the Mortal Kombat trading card game. Cards. Not the game. Oh, I never played the game. I just looked at cards. <laughs> I, did. I did. Those cards are great. You know, I'm looking... I'm still looking into this Fallout thing by uh, by uh, by uh, Modifius because they're D they're two D twenty system. Yeah, I never heard of that. I never heard of a two D twenty system. You know, Conan was two D twenty. I don't remember it being two D twenty, but the Conan world was two D twenty. It's released by the same company. I read an article hmm. the other day that Conan the Barbarian actually would have been Conan the Rogue, based on his thieving past and his pirating past, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They took an in depth look and like he multiclassed. This guy would have been a rogue. <laughs> Probably. I think what made him the barbarian was the uh, lack of armor, the large weapon, and what most people perceive as the unintelligent side of him, especially if all you know is the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah! movie <laughs> over uh, over the actual comic Oops. books and graphic novels and uh, stories and everything. Yeah. Um yeah, this Modifius has some actual things I've really played and enjoyed. Um, John Carter of Mars is one that they've done up. Mutant Chronicles, oh. a Star Trek adventure, which I played a little bit of. There's a John Carter TRPG? Dude, there's really one Interesting. of Interesting. Yeah. Wasn't John Carter originally a sci-fi story? Yes. Yeah. Who wrote that? Who was the original author uh, that? John Carter was... Written by John Carter. It's insane. No, no. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> entire auto... Autobiography series <laughs> of a guy who went to Mars with, with love from Mars. John <laughs> this this is a true story. You gotta believe me, guys. No, um, Ed, off Elon. Uh, we got here first. Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs is the guy who did that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I love that. You remember the movie, John yeah. Carter? Did you see the movie? I remember seeing a commercial for it. It's it's a cheesy movie, but I enjoy the ride. I all I, got, I can say about it. I enjoy it. I, I think the twist at the end is probably uh, a little obvious, but enjoyable. Yeah. It was a good movie. I wouldn't say I, it was uh, good. It bombed at the box office. It, it, Some of the best do. It became a cult classic what, after what it came back out on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I... Well, actually, there, there's, there's a couple of movies that... Come on, Zach. What good movie? Uh, Speed. 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 No. Did terribly at the box office. Speed does terrible. I, would, I can't even say yes Speed. or no to that. <laughs> Speed does terrible everywhere. But it was a good movie otherwise. No. No, it was an okay movie. I'll email you about this later. Oh, that's an inside joke. <laughs> email. Okay, it's truth we say that's right. There are a lot of things that bombed in the box office that were decent. Um, um, yeah, I think Fight Club is one of the ones that come to mind. So. I don't know if that's a good movie or not. It's a, it's a hit or miss. It's like a mood thing. If you're in the mood for hit it. Or miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And truthfully, I, we we've talked before about the movies that you've seen. I don't know if oh, both of them. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen enough movies to determine what equates as a good movie or not. Huh, yeah. So so you're new to TRPGs and you're also new to movies. Yeah, TV in general, really. I never had a TV in my house. It wasn't until I got a job that I even saw one. <laughs> yeah? yeah? That's kind of how it worked. I was right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, I was really enjoying those crickets for a second. It was so depressing. <laughs> so depressing. Uh, so, 
Zach, another thing that, that you really enjoy, and this is where part of where you and I kind of, I don't, I don't want to say deviate in some of our um, other fantasy realms, but you enjoy Star Wars in particular. Uh, yes. The the universe, the material, are you a movies guy, an all-of-it guy, etc.? All of it. It's not just Star Wars either. I really got a thing for sci-fi specifically. Uh, most of what I choose to read is science fiction. Mm. So there's one autobiography I'm reading right now, voraciously. It's a memoir. Whatever. And I'm positive you don't understand the definition of voracious. No. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> that word. I do not mm. think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Any, anyhow, I bring that up because... Uh, you haven't had the opportunity to really jump into, um, essentially, outer space tabletop RPGs. No, I understand the same people that do Pathfinder do a, a Space Finder also. Starfinder, man. Yes. It's, it's a chunkier system, but the ship fighting... Dude, I really kind of want to try that. It, it's either you're going to be really into it, or you're going to hate it because of how... Com- complicated it is there's there's a dive like like what he was saying about the other topic there's a camp for this side and a camp for that side people really love the ship combat because it's so good other people say i'd rather play an adventure that doesn't have a ship at all in it <laughs> i want to get my hands into starfinder i think it'd be great i i considered uh getting the core rule book for that also but i i decided just to just to stick with the games that i'm actually playing right now and enjoy I'm not buying Dragon Age books. That's because no. the Dragon Age book is freaking expensive for us. Yeah, like three hundred dollars or whatever. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. So Dragon Age forty k, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I like how when we mention their space, your guys' first thought is uh, Starfinder. Yes, which is, which is great because again, it's a Paizo product, and obviously we're Paizo fanboys at this point. It sounds ridiculous. Well, they just unionized. <laughs> I'm pro union. <laughs> they're still actually in the process. Well, by the time this is out, they'll probably be finalized. But they're in the process of recording this still. Anyhow, I did mention specifically Star Wars because I know that's where your fantasy lies. It's not like it's not just Star Wars, but it's science fiction, and you seem to have a thing for outer space. So there are actually a lot of Star Wars role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Tell me more. Okay, so. A lot of them, and by a lot, I mean there are different settings in Star Wars, different parts of the galaxy, different rule sets, D6, timelines, timelines D6 systems, D20 systems, uh, etc. So being new to the system, you've already considered when will you get the chance to jump in and DM. Are you going to pick up the opportunity and learn a new system in a preferred setting or are you going to stick to kind of what you're playing in because it's going to become embedded ingrained and what you know i i am definitely going to try starfinder Mm -hmm. and i'm going to go into it not just with an open mind and managing my expectations but also with the i love science fiction background and i want this to be awesome oh yeah I, i i am definitely going to try it i i don't know that that's going to put me off DMing something while I'm trying that. I'm not trying to say both of those can't happen at once. Um, I really want to play 
Pathfinder in space, and I'm really starting to want to DM a game too. So, I uh, think I think that's great considering that you've been in the 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 TTRPG space for like two and a half months. There is no half. It's like <laughs> two months. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I'm, I'm gonna. You wanted me not to stop about Star Wars RPGs. So here we go. Here's uh, just some generic information. Um, Star Wars, the role-playing game. It's a role-playing game set in the Star Wars universe, written and published by West End Games. So get this. Between 1987 and 1999. So just over 10 years. Which is really on par with a lot of the other systems that are out and about. 10 years, they seem to hit their, their long stride. They're either developing their next edition or they're finally ramping up and these guys hit that 10-year mark and they're like we're good now the game system was slightly modified and released in 2004 as d6 space which used generic space opera setting instead it wasn't star wars it was just space opera um space which, opera yeah. isn't the worst no no and i mean i i enjoy the idea of space opera i mean i, I think it's star wars doesn't put me off it's not my preferred um space stuff star wars just i don't know i didn't get into star wars but i like outer space i don't like star trek either so don't put me in one of those two camps nobody really likes star trek don't say that to the trekkies <laughs> to the trek well, you know i used to like star trek because i grew up watching it because my dad was super into it but looking back at it now i'm like eh, star wars did it better same situation yeah like every tuesday night or whatever that was uh you know gene roddenberry's fucking next generation night yeah so, yeah. uh, Con! We, we look at, I, I mentioned there are a lot of different settings that Star Wars came out under. Um, unrelated Star Wars RPG was published by Wizards of the Coast, again, from 2000 to 2010. I didn't so know Wizards made a Star year. Wars. Yep. Wow. Yep. Uh, and then since 2012, the official Star Wars role-playing game is another unrelated game published by Fantasy Flight Games. So, I mean, we have different publishers, different game styles, etc., and the one thing that I hear the absolute most when it comes to your... I'm going to use space opera setting. Because no, that's perfect. That's exactly what Star Wars is. Yep. Um, is the original West End's game with their D6 system. I hear great things about their D6 Star Wars games. Hmm. Um, anytime I mention it'd be kind of nice to play something about space marines, people instantly say, like, D6 Star Wars. Anytime I mention anything outer space d6 star wars okay um, that, that's what i hear and i've played once it wasn't very long i don't remember it very well uh but knowing zach your background i think that branching out into more stuff i mean it's a natural progression of the nerd way correct and i think that if you get into these systems i am more than willing to sit at your table and check it out Wonderful. All right. So you know, agreed. No, no, that's how it starts, right? You have an idea, you learn the rules, you get a party. Well, see, you're already building that last step, man. Uh, it works. And uh, another little plus: um, Starfinder, the Solarian class, basically a Jedi. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> basically a Jedi. <laughs> they got away with it, man. All right, so reading, <laughs> reading through a little bit more of this page, the mechanics. The game has three official versions, two major fan version released, all with some variations, but they all use the D6 system at its core. Hmm. So 
The D6 system seems to be very particular to Star Wars, um, minus the one D20. Now it's on roll 22 if you want, guys want to do a uh, digital game. I hate those though. We talked about that. Um, yeah, I think I think as we look farther into this, there is a huge, huge realm. Um, we've joked about Warhammer 40k, but they've got a TTRPG for that too. And again, you look at a lot of Space Marines for that stuff. Um, I guess it comes down to the complexity in which you want to learn. And you've mentioned that you like the the heavy complexity in Pathfinder. So I think Starfinder will be a great step from that because they use a lot of the same rules uh, or at least rule mechanics in Starfinder as they do in their Pathfinder plus some. And from how it has been best described is the progression from Pathfinder to Starfinder is like going from Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 to 3.75 with Pathfinder to 3.75 version 2 with Starfinder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally ending at Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. People are saying that Starfinder is like 1.5 in the in the progression of how mechanics and the system is. Okay. Mm-hmm. They have some things that they kept from first edition and other things that they were testing for second edition that they kept in Starfinder. So it's it's a weird weird conglomerate, okay. but they did a good job balancing everything. Still interesting. There's gonna be some things you're gonna read and you're gonna be like, oh well, haste works like this in Pathfinder. Yeah, it doesn't work like that in this game. And you play yep. Pathfinder 2 and you're like, how come haste doesn't work like this? Oh, yeah, it works like that. Well, what in the world? Stop changing haste. Right. <laughs> now, did I mention I'm starting playing a Barbarian in 5e and in Pathfinder <laughs> with back-to-back games every, every other week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can so, see the smoke coming out of your ears. Constantly. So, uh, one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet, I mean, we touched on it last episode for at least a brief mention. That was Savage Worlds. And Savage Worlds is really cool. It's a basic universal rule system. Meaning that all of their extended material settings work off of the core rules. Okay. So um, to equate it to something you may be familiar with, for example, is in Pathfinder you have your core rulebook and then you have uh, campaign settings. And there are many different campaign settings that all work off of that one core rulebook. Right. Um, Savage Worlds is very similar. And they have a lot of settings such as... uh, They do have one specifically for space. Uh, I think I have that rulebook, too. Um, Really? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember. That might be one of the ones that I needed to buy. Yeah, Savage Worlds was very, like, malleable and diverse, if I remember correctly. Yes, and what was really cool is that a lot of their components worked interchangeably with the uh, the other books. It was like a plug-and-play kind of system. So it was kind of kind like, of. here's the rules, choose the setting you want to have kind of thing? or not, Yeah, not very, really? very close. Okay. Because their initial rule book was open enough that you could use anything, any setting. Uh, combat was way more difficult, and it's way more... Um, survive or die kind of thing okay uh, it, it feels way more on the line but I, I bring up the savage worlds aspect for two things and that one in particular was their space setting 
which would be right up your alley. It's fun and enjoyable, but they also have Rifts. And Rifts is closer to your Fallout setting than just straight space. And yeah. I have to give Rifts some love here because I love the setting. The idea is that on Earth, Rifts from the multiverse of time and space have opened up on Earth. And that means that any time, any point in space, on any multiverse level, uh, is essentially up for grabs. Oh, really? Really. A complete amalgamation of things. And Rifts has specific core classes, etc., uh, that are in there, that are contained, that are primary. Um, but again, you can flavor any way you want. And I think I've talked to Potato about this shortly. And being new to this, uh, I'm gonna gonna going to gloss over it briefly. But Rifts also has its own system. So it was actually developed as an independent tabletop rule set and ported into Savage Worlds. And the port worked a hell of a lot better than the original game. Okay. Like it, it made things better. It's not a popular enough system where you can just bring it up in casual conversation. Like, yo, you sit down some Savage Worlds and played riffs in it. Like, people are gonna be like, what? <laughs> um, but it is a setting that loans itself to your interests. And as you get into this more, I think it's one of those things you should check out. Fair enough. So, oh yeah. Cool. I agree. Um, I. Have a certain tabletop system that I kind of want to talk to you guys about. I myself don't know much about it. I have to do a bit more research. I love to get my hands on the book itself. It was released in 1985, so it's a, it's an older book. Mm-hmm. Um, 112 pages long, so good enough content in there. I think all you need is just one book to play the game. Um, it is called. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. Really? Yeah, it actually has a system where you can make your own mutant character. So if you want to be Rocksteady or Bebop, you can do that. And there's other really cool mechanics to it that really drew my attention. And that's really more like if someone likes the, the, the franchise, they'll play it with me. Otherwise, I'll be by myself, and that's not going to be any fun. But I love to play it. There's a lot of neat things about it, and it's very chunky, very heavy rules, and yet simplified in a sense to where fighting isn't going to be dragged out. You know, okay. from what I understand, the fighting is still quick enough to have fun. But yeah, um, it's the only paperback TRPG from 1985 that I ever thought of actually wanted to buy. And on this website right here, it is $78. (laughs) So I don't know. Like I said, I'll need a party to actually play with me so I can actually feel vindicated into spending that money for a book. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what it is, too. You know, 80 bucks for a core rule book. I mean that like Rob was saying earlier that's uh, that's pretty steep entry level price. It is. It is. So I want to I want to bring this up because it's fun and I love the fact that we just talked about something and you brought up this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles another strangeness without knowing what I'm about to connect for you. Oh yeah, bring it on. So the game Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness is compatible with Heroes Unlimited. Compatible with Ninjas and Super Spies. And other Palladium RPGs. Cool. And 
Guess who published the original Rift's content? Palladium. Palladium Games. Amazing. So that means it's be compatible with Savage Worlds? No, Savage not, Worlds. Not that far. Savage Worlds is a different rule set that Rift right. was ported into. Okay. So, so it, it won't won't be enough there. Not enough uh, connection. Right. And I mean, looking at Palladium RPGs, I mean, seriously, they haven't really updated their website since 2019. <laughs> but we're talking about a game that was released in 1987. 1985. 1985. And you have to just imagine the staying powder power of Palladium RPGs as it is. It's insane. They, they are actually a lot bigger than people give them credit for. Very similar to Green Ronin Publishing, who has the Dragon Age game that we've bitched about in the last episode. It's got Mutants and Masterminds, etc. I mean, Cobalt Press is also another one that has a lot of things that people know and an even greater list and catalog of things that they didn't know was actually put out by these publishers. Wow. Um, so yeah, in fact, as soon as you mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, and other strangeness, I'm looking at the eighth printing of the book, which was released in 1989. Um, it was crazy that it, it's it's so old that it's the original artwork of the Ninja Turtles. Like the original yeah. comic. Yeah. All, all the red bandanas and whatnot. No. I love it. No. What? No. You're, you're printing, they got the colors on there, or black and white? No, your your assumption of all red bandanas. Well, they were when they started, weren't they? They were all black and white. Well, yeah, sure, yeah, they're, they're all black and no white. Color. I can swear when they first did color, they were all red, they're all red bandanas. So, I'm not sure, you you love Ninja Turtles too, if I remember correctly, you had a bunch of toys. Oh, yeah. That He-Man, that gay guy with the, uh, the BDSM cross. Oh, yeah. And leotard thing. Oh, yeah. I remember. We talked about that. It was awesome. That gay haircut. Come on, seriously. Dolph Lundgren dude, I, dude, I played the, as him, you know. Don't smack talk Dolph Lundgren that way. I had both. <laughs> like, there's a connection there. <laughs> his name is right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I am. I don't know. Before we get on the toys, let's, let's see if Potato is peanut butter pizza on this. How would you say his name? Whose name? Dolph Lundgren. That one. Yeah. Rocky Four. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. 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 Mm, I've always heard it as Dolph Lundgren, but it doesn't really matter. What do you listen to that pronounces these people's <laughs> that, names horribly? That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it, could be, it could be the way uh, Sylvester Stallone pronounces his name. I don't know. <laughs> Alright, so I'm, I'm, I am looking, I'm looking up into this. <laughs> this rule set. Uh, eight attribute, the eight attributes attribute bonuses. This looks like it was as poorly written as TSR's Marvel superheroes. In the first step in creating an animal characters, to roll up the eight attributes I Q M E P S P P P E P B and S B D. Really? <laughs> yep. yep. What was that? I Q M E P S P P P E P B and S B D. Which I assume is speed and IQ is intelligence. Um, so the number, the greater the ability. Uh, hold on, hold on. Sorry, this. I don't. I don't know where these sentences start and stop. <laughs> The first step in creating an animal character is to roll up the eight attributes IQ, M, E, P, S, P, 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 E, P, B, and speed, S, B, D. The number, the greater the ability. 
That doesn't make sense. I, th- I think it's saying greater the number, the greater the ability. No, there's no capital in the beginning of the sentence. I wonder if it starts over here. Oh, I think it's the website that chopped it? No, this is an exact scan of the PDF. Oh! <laughs> so, dice, there are a variety of different dice used in the role-playing games. For most board games, we call them D6. We'll often let you know that dice roll expression with 3D6. This you gotta gotta remind yourself. This is 1985. <laughs> They're explaining I, why they call it a D6. <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is that I mean, this is the problem that we have with TSR's Marvel superheroes is that it's unreadable, and you naturally read left to right, top to bottom. So here I'm going to start again with the left the <laughs> left column, and I need somebody to explain this to me because apparently I can't figure it out. Dice. There are a variety of different dice in role-playing games. Period. The next sentence directly below that. I think I see this now. Hold on. I have to start up higher. Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. That's not right either. I'm just going to start at the... I'm going to start at the big word. Glossary of role-playing game terms. Attributes, these are the numbers used to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of your character. For example, PP means physical. Of 10 would be an average fairly coordinated being, while a PP (laughs) of 16 or more would belong only to a character with exceptional speed and reflexes. The attributes are also called statistics, or stats. The same characters with the same game master on a regular basis, as an imaginary playing piece, also called playing character. Death in a campaign usually depends on the individual game master. Only a game and superheroics is a dangerous line of work. Stop right there. That sounded so choppy, and I couldn't even decipher my ears to what you were saying. GMs the game as soon as is appropriate for the ongoing game. However, what? dice. There are a variety of different <laughs> dice used in role-playing games. For most board games, we call them D6. Often we let you know how many dice to roll with an expression like roll 3D6. This, D10, and even 20-sided dice, D20, they are available at most player. A player is a person who who (laughs) plays in a role-playing game. It seems like they're bringing up a lot of good points, though. Uh... (laughs) There's there's no... no, It's just all all these thoughts are truncated. There's no cohesion. I don't understand how somebody said, yeah, this is good enough to go to print. Yeah, I bet you anything it was the fact that they just didn't have anyone to read it. The guy just typed it, typed it, typed it. All right, we're good. Yeah, it's all right. You, you dare question me? Just print it. Just print it. You know, <laughs> Go. Things it, it, it started, started with this, okay. and then they snowballed into Cyberpunk 2077. Right, right. It, Th- this is the explanation for that garbage. It's the equivalent of you trying to text a long message to somebody, and you're trying to get all the words in your head, but then you miss, like, three words, like the or and, connotative words. But nope. that is, like, a whole sentence. It feels like it just... just Boop, gone. Hold on. That's insane. We're going to start with an entire paragraph, okay? There's no weird breaks in this one. Okay? Okay. This is is ridiculously fun. We should go through and edit some of these (laughs) for for clarity. (laughs) Roll percentiles again on the following table to find out the character's current relationship with the creator organization. This also determines the character's education level. 0, 1 to 10, adopted and raised as one of a researcher's family, still living in the home, mutually loves and is loved by family members. This character has been treated as human 
and while some discrimination may have been experienced, the character will feel that humans are basically good. Educated as a normal human student equal to one year of college, select two skill programs and ten secondary skills. Skill bonus plus ten percent. Weapons, armor, or equipment with 3d6 time, 1,000 in savings. 11 to 20. Okay. So most of that makes sense. But once they jump to selected, select two skill programs and 10 secondary skills, skill bonus plus 10% weapons, armor, or equipment with 3d6 time, 1,000 in savings, either we're missing a big chunk of rules right here, or it's obviously not very well developed. <laughs> I, so, so we're missing a big chunk of rules, right? I think that's I what it so. is. I think you would have to decipher all that just to understand how the game works. But it's so poorly written, just like the TSR versions back back in the same right. same era that are hard to read. So, all right. But but people say they're great games. I still want to get into them. Absolutely. I think we actually need to find an old timer who's been around the block a few more times than we have and try to run one for us. Right. He's like, oh yeah, I already deciphered it for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be great. All right. Well, we're going to close it out there. Um, I'm going to say with a little bit of bad news and sadness in my heart that uh, currently our 3D printers are out of commission again. Oh, that's sad to hear. Dude, I'm going to throw one of them out the freaking window. Oh my God. Anyhow... That wraps us up. Zach, thanks for joining us this time. Anytime. And uh, you know what? Check us out on Facebook at Epic Table Games. Find us online at epictablegames.com where we are still trying to grow our play-by-post community. You can check out some of our current products and kind of help us grow a little faster than we are. We need you guys. Yeah. Gosh. More now than ever. More now than ever. (laughs) Later. Table Games and online at epictablegames.com.